All right. Well, hey, as you are um, sitting there, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them. If you need one, there should be a Bible on the chairs there around you, in front of you. Maybe it's uh, underneath you. And uh, if you're going, if you're uh, using those Bibles, you're going to page 1268. We're all going to the last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Today, we're going to wrap up this series in the book of Acts that we've been in, uh, I believe, since September of 2017, but with breaks, um, which is, is how, how we like to do that is preach our way through a book of the Bible, but we take breaks as appropriate. But part of preaching your way through a book of the Bible means that I'm going to get up here and talk about some things that I wouldn't normally talk about. Because if I was left to just pick sermons on whatever I want to preach about, we would all be unbalanced because I would preach about what I like to preach about and what I maybe enjoy preaching about and maybe not some of the other stuff that naturally comes up in the rhythm and flow of a book. So that's why we do that. Plus, that's how God revealed himself to us in the context of these books uh, as a whole not just individual verses here and there that we can pick. And so we get a better picture of how God has revealed himself and how he uh, expects us to respond to him as we work our way through uh, uh, the context of a book. So that's why we've been doing that. So, but we're wrapping it up today. Acts chapter 28. And uh, just a quick overview of the whole book. Does that scare anyone when I just said that? <laughs> right, okay. All right, just a quick overview. So the, 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 the book of Acts is a second part. It's a sequel, right? The, the Gospel of Luke is the first one. So the same guy wrote them. Luke and Acts are written by Luke. Right, And Luke, in his gospel of Luke, was writing to talk about the ministry that Jesus did while he was here on earth. And then Acts, the sequel, is to talk about the ministry that Jesus did and continues while he is in heaven. So he continues his ministry, even though he has ascended to the Father, but he continues it through his followers, empowered by his Spirit. And so that's how the book of Acts had opened up, was Jesus' followers were wondering, what do they do from here? And he says to them, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, all the ends of the earth. And, and so what we've seen going through the book of Acts is the followers of Jesus witnessing to the things that they've heard and the things that they've seen about Jesus. We've seen them proclaiming this gospel message, this message of God that has been revealed through Christ. We've seen them reveal, uh, uh, sharing and proclaiming that to all kinds of people so that the gospel started out primarily in Jerusalem with a group of Jewish people. And so we talk about the early church and we talk about how the early church was primarily Jewish. But then as you continue through the book of Acts, you see that the gospel continued to spread, eventually breaking social barriers and extending beyond just one, one race, beyond just one ethnicity, beyond just one uh, uh, region. And it starts to spread. And so the whole book of Acts has been tracing that spread. We've seen some major figures like Peter early on in the book of Acts. We saw how God worked through Peter and carried on the ministry of Christ through Peter. And then starting in chapter 9, we saw Paul, uh, who was one of the greatest persecutors of the church. And someone said to me this week, um, what, what if God, we're talking about uh, salvation, and, I, and they said something along the lines, what if God wanted to save a murderer or something, something along those lines? Paul was that guy. Paul was that murderer that God chose to save. So if you ever find yourself thinking, well, what if, what if God, what if that person repents and God saves that person? Just go back to Paul because God does that. Because nobody is beyond the grace and the mercy of God. You might be sitting here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, but not me. Not, I mean, if you only knew how I spent last night, you would know God can't extend his grace to me. And I would say back to you, if you just go back and read about Paul, Start in Acts chapter 6 and read about this guy who was a religious guy, 
He was good on the outside. He was morally good. People were impressed by him. But yet he also killed a lot of people for that religion because he thought he was doing a good thing. And he persecuted people. He separated families. He, he, he put people in prison. And I bet the majority of you in this room probably don't even fall into that category. Yeah, you may have made some bad decisions. Yeah, maybe you're indulging some things. But you probably have not gone so far as to murder and to persecute with great zeal people for following Jesus. That's Paul. And so Paul would later say uh, that this is a trustworthy statement that Christ Jesus came to die for sinners. And he says, among whom I am the first, the chief, the foremost. Paul never forgot the mercy and the grace that, that God extended to him, but he never was paralyzed by who he was. He moved forward in the grace of God. And so that's Paul. And so we see Paul, the rest of the book of Acts, really being used by God to take the gospel to even further lengths. And so we've been tracking with Paul the last several weeks as he's been imprisoned for two years now because he proclaimed the gospel. He's been transferred, his custody transferred, and he's on his way to Rome because he's appealed to be heard by Caesar. And so he's making his way to Rome. Last time we were talking through Acts two weeks ago, we saw that, hey, you know what? If you ever find yourself thinking that because you're following Jesus, because you're a Christian, that bad things shouldn't happen to you, go and read Acts chapter 27, where Paul gets shipwrecked. And then if you think that's not bad enough and he survives the shipwreck, he gets bit by a venomous viper while helping to build a fire to keep people warm. So if you find yourself pitying yourself or finding yourself falling into a victim mentality because you're a follower of Christ and bad things shouldn't happen to you, you're no exception if Paul was no exception. And so we see that God can work through and use even those things in our life that we would never have chosen. Maybe we are experiencing at the hands of other people, and yet God works in the lives of his people in such a way that nothing is wasted. Nothing. And so Paul has... Now, come off that island is where we're picking up this morning. He's making his way to Rome, and he has now arrived in Rome. And we're just going to walk through these, these verses, starting in verse 17, pull a few things out of it, give a few uh, minutes to think about it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll check out of here. So let's take a look here. Acts chapter 28. I guess it would help if I turned the remote on. Let's try that again. <laughs> Boom, there we go. All right, they make these really complicated now. You've got a, an on and off switch, not just a button. <laughs> All right, Acts chapter 28, verse 17. After three days, Paul called, so he's in Rome now. Paul called the local Jewish leaders together. When they had assembled, he said to them, brothers, although I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, from Jerusalem, I was handed over as a prisoner to the Romans. When they had heard my case, they wanted to release me because there was no basis for a death sentence against me. But when the Jews objected, I, f I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had some charge to bring against my own people. So Paul's just letting the Jewish people in Rome, he's gathered the local Jewish population, the leaders, and he's saying, here's who I am. Here's why I'm here. And he's explaining that he had, he had been heard by the Jewish people. The Jewish people made some accusations back in Jerusalem. But now, now he's here in Rome because even though the Roman government in Jerusalem decided Paul's innocent and there's no reason to put a death penalty on him, he said that the Jewish people were not in favor of that. In fact, there were plots to kill him if he got released. So he said, because of that, I've actually appealed to be heard by Caesar, which is why I'm here today. And so he's gathering these Jewish people to just let them know the situation, uh, uh, why he's there. All right. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. We're going to move forward. So he says, so verse 20, so for this reason, I have asked to see you and speak with you, for I am bound with this chain because of the hope of Israel. 
They replied, we have received no letters from Judea about you, nor have any of our brothers come from there and reported or said anything bad about you. But we would like to hear from you what you think. For regarding this sect, we know that people everywhere speak against it. So this morning, one of the things I want to put before you is what's the trajectory of your life? What's the direction that your life is moving? What is it that you're aiming at? What is it that you're moving towards? And what is it that's motivating you to move in that direction? What is it that's driving you to do what it is you're doing? Or maybe you don't have a drive to do anything. And and, then the question is, what's the trajectory? What's the direction of your life? Where are you headed and why? Because the motivation behind where we're headed makes a difference. And there are some motivations that will not last. And they will end. And there are some trajectories, directions, and paths that we get on that they may be good uh, for a time, and they may benefit a lot of people, but when you really consider it in the, in the scope of eternity, you realize that this is really small potatoes. You realize this is really, really not gonna make a dent in, in, in anything really lasting. You realize that beyond my life, once I'm no longer here, this is not gonna matter. What's the trajectory of your life and what's motivating you? So Paul has gathered these Jewish people and he, he wants to talk to them. He wants to tell them about why he's in the situation that he's in, why he's in prison, why he's in custody. And I want you to just take note of how he describes his situation. In verse 20, he says, for I am bound. So he's talking about his, his chains because at this point, Paul is, is at least bound to a guard, a Roman guard, or he's at least imprisoned in a home where he is under custody. He's got some freedom. People can come and, come and visit him. He, he has to buy his own supplies. I mean, so he's got some freedom, but he is still under guard. He is still imprisoned. And likely the, 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 the pattern is that he would have been chained to a guard. He says, I am bound with this chain. I imagine him holding it up because of the hope of Israel. Now, Paul could have said after making the explanation that he made, I'm bound in this chain for no good reason. It's not fair. And if you live in my house, you know how I respond to that phrase. It's not fair. He says, he could have said, I'm bound in this chain because people have made a false accusation against me. He could have said, I'm bound in this chain and, and I don't belong here. He could have said, I'm bound in this chain and I want you to do something about this. He could have interpreted his situation in a very self-focused way, falling into some kind of victim mentality. And most of us in this room would have said, Paul, you certainly can go there because you're unjustly imprisoned. You don't deserve to be here. People made false accusations against you. You're a follower of Christ. You're just trying to do good with your life and you're serving other people. You don't deserve to be here. And never once did Paul say, I don't deserve to be here. He never said that. Instead, his perspective is shaped by the trajectory of his life, which has been drastically changed. Paul's life prior to the time when we learn about it in Acts chapter 9 was that religious leader of, Jew, uh, of Judaism. He was a religious leader in the Jewish faith. He was a model. He was, he was respected, trained by the best of the best. He would have done very well in church circuits. He could have been a good public speaker in church circuits. He probably would have been invited to conferences. People probably would have sought him after to learn from him. Paul had a good trajectory, and he was so zealous for what he was doing that his zeal overflowed into killing people who would oppose what he was doing. 
And his trajectory changed when he was confronted with the resurrected Jesus. His, his trajectory drastically changed. 180 degrees, complete different direction when he was confronted with the resurrected Jesus. And he went from persecuting Jesus to preaching about Jesus. And he, he, he was clear on that trajectory. And Jesus made it clear to him, you have been appointed for this reason that you will take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Jesus even told Paul in that moment on that road when Paul was seeing this light and hearing Jesus' voice, Jesus even said to Paul, I will show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. Paul's interpretation of his circumstances was filtered through that. His trajectory was changed, and so he wasn't bound in chains unjustly, unfairly. He says, I'm bound in chains because of the hope of Israel. Because I'm proclaiming that, and remember, he's talking to Jewish people, that which you have been looking for and waiting for and longing for. I'm in chains for that. Now, I wonder how you would fill in this phrase. I do what I do because of blank. What would you put in that blank? I do what I do. I, I serve in the job that I serve in. I work the type of, the, the vocation that I work in. I am the type of father. I am the type of mother, the type of husband, the type of wife. I am that type of person that I am. I am the type of person in the community that I am because of blank. Because I want recognition from people, because I want to make some money, because I want to earn a certain number of, uh, a certain level of savings, I want to be a certain level of security. I am that way because it's the right thing to do. I'm that way because I had good parents and I want to be a good parent. I had, I had a good mom and dad who had a great marriage, so I want to model that. Or the reverse, my mom and dad's marriage was not great, so I want to do better. What would you fill in that blank? And unless it's something along the lines of, I do what I do, I am who I am, because of the hope. The hope, not just hope, not wishy-washy, nebulous, I wish something would happen, I hope that, that my team win, not that kind of hope, but the hope that, that says, I, I may not see the results now, I may not see the end right now, but I'm confident in the one who controls and who directs the end, that it will be as he says it will be, therefore I have hope. That's when I say the hope. That's the kind of hope Paul had. He had to hope that this God who had been promising for centuries that he would fulfill promises to his people, that he would bring this one who would be the rightful king of his people, who would rewrite, R-I-G-H-T, the wrong of sin, who would redeem people who had been impacted and affected by sin. It, it, the, the people had been hoping and looking for that person ever since the fall of man in Genesis chapter three when God said, but there will be a seed of the woman and he will crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent bruises his heel. They had been looking for him. And Paul says, I'm in chains because of that hope. Because Paul knows that hope has been revealed in Jesus. That Jesus is that one who they have been looking for, waiting for. He has come, he has lived, he has taught, he has modeled. And then he went and died a death that he did not deserve to die because he was innocent. But he died as a 
substitute in the place of those who were guilty so that the innocent might have his righteousness as he takes the guilty's sin. There was an exchange that took place. And Paul says, I'm, in, I'm bound because of the hope of Israel. I wonder what, what shapes your trajectory. I am or I do what I do because of blank. And if it's not something along the lines of the hope of God, because of the, the, the salvation that Christ offers, because of the redemption, something along those lines, I hope this morning you're challenged and confronted to consider what it is that's shaping the way you live your life, what it is that's motivating you to do the things you do. And while they may be good motivations, while they may benefit other people, while there may be nothing wrong in and of itself, it is, I hope this morning that you see it as a settling for far less than what God would have for you and for far less than what Christ came to purchase for you. Paul says, I'm bound for the, the hope of Israel. So they said, yeah, we want to hear about you. And he, they reference in verse 22 this sect. They, remember in the gospel, the Christians aren't, I mean, in the book of Acts, the Christians aren't called Christians but three times. And, and two of those times, it's by people who oppose Christians. It's, it's, a, it's a derogatory term. It's like calling them names. You're little Christians. You're, you're little Christs. The, the Christians actually called themselves disciples. And they spoke of the, them being a part of a movement called The Way. And so that movement, The Way, became known among Jewish people and Roman people, non-believers in Jesus, became known as a sect. Today, we might say it's a cult. They, they were viewing it in that way. And so the Jews are saying to Paul, we do want to hear more about this, this sect, this cult. All right, so we go on. Verse 23. So they set a day to meet with him. And they came to him where he was staying in even greater numbers. From morning until evening, he explained things. And this is just a preacher's dream. From morning till evening, he explained things to them. So I thought on a day like today, it would be a good day since all of you have gathered here. I know normally we would end in about 15 minutes or so. But Paul said from morning till evening, he explained. And I thought maybe we might try that. Is that... Let's go. Let's go. I knew I loved you. I, I love that man. I really do, Charles. I do. All right, so he explains from morning to evening. Can you imagine the depth that he's getting into? And I can imagine them interchanging. Okay, Paul, but what do you see about this scripture? How do you see this in Jesus? And Paul is just going through methodically through the Old Testament, the law, the, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he's showing how even from those books, Jesus was already foretold about and how he's, he's shown how Jesus now fulfills all that's in that book. And he goes on and, and he's just walking him through. And the prophets, they said this, and look, Here's what Jesus did. He's helping them to see that Jesus is the one from morning till evening. And it says he was testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. From the law of Moses and the prophets. Some of you may find yourself sometimes wondering what's our purpose in the Old Testament? Why, why even bother with it? If it was good enough for Jesus, if it was good enough for Paul, we, we shouldn't be so quick to toss it out. Now, we have to read it with a, with a different lens than, than, say, a Jewish person would. But Paul is sitting here from the Old Testament, as we would know it as the Old Testament. They, they wouldn't have had the New Testament yet, right? It was being written, right? And so he's, he's arguing from what we know as the Old Testament, from books that you would read. If you start a good Bible reading plan, you're reading through these books, and he's going through some of those books, the ones that you're going, more names? <laughs> 
Leviticus, <laughs> Numbers, and you're going, can I skip this part? Where's that good story buried in this one? Right? He's arguing from those books, and he's showing how those books point to who Jesus is. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God and trying to convince him about Jesus. And now, the, the, the book is coming full circle in this sense. You see, the book, the book started out in Acts chapter 1 with, with, with Luke saying to this guy that he's writing to, Theophilus, I'm writing to you for this reason. I've researched all these things about Jesus, and I want to report to you the things about Jesus. After he rose from the dead, he stuck around for 40 days. And during that time, Luke says, this is in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, and he says I, I, he was proclaiming the message about the kingdom of God. Okay, so, so Luke says that. And then just a few verses later, when Jesus is talking to some of his followers, the followers ask them, God, Jesus, Lord, is it at this time that you are going to restore your kingdom to Israel? To which Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and places, but stay in Jerusalem and when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. So the book started out with this focus on the kingdom of God, and, and now it's coming full circle. And if you were, this is a fun study, if, if you like to dig a little bit, if you just go to some Bible, Bible website, you know, um, blueletterbible.org, um, bible.org, um, Bible Gateway, I mean, whatever your Bible is, or if you, if you have the hard books that you like to use instead, you get a concordance. And you look up that word kingdom, or you type in kingdom, and then you narrow your search down just to the book of Acts. And, or if you're in the concordance, just look at the, the listings in the book of Acts. And then just go and read the, 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 those verses and the context before and after and get an understanding of how in the book of Acts the kingdom of God is talked about. And then if you really want to dig, expand it a little further. Read something else that that same author wrote. So you would go to the Gospel of Luke. And how does Luke talk about the, the kingdom in the Gospel of Luke? And then if you want to get a little bit more broad, you, you, you extend that concentric circle and say, how is it talked about in the New Testament? It would be a fascinating study, but it's a big topic. But, but in, in a nutshell, the kingdom of God is that rule of God in the hearts of his people, over the lives of his people, over all of creation. And there are aspects to the kingdom that are both spiritual and, and not tangible. And then there are aspects to the kingdom that are more tangible, more physical. And there are aspects to the kingdom that are present now. And yet then when you read other places, you find that there's still aspects of the kingdom that aren't yet here, that yet they're not yet fulfilled. They're not full yet. And so this message about Jesus is connected to God's kingdom. And you can't separate the two because he is the king of that kingdom. And he is the one who is bringing that kingdom into fulfillment. And so the book of Acts is, is, is showing that, and the people that are proclaiming that are showing that. And so Paul is trying to show them, look, you've been looking for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is attached to the king, Jesus. And he's trying to help them see how those two fit together. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others refused to believe. So they began to leave, unable to agree among themselves after Paul made one last statement, and we're going to hold off on that statement. See, if you are faithfully proclaiming the gospel, if you are faithfully out there proclaiming in your workplaces, in your families, in your classrooms, in your schools, among, among whatever people you're, you tend to influence and tend to be around, if you're faithfully proclaiming the gospel, you will see two different responses. Just two. When you boil it down, either people will respond by believing or they will respond by not believing. And that's, that, that's the same thing Paul's experiencing. So some people were convinced and they believed, and other people did not. 
and they disagree among themselves. And so this group of Jewish people leave and they got a little, little uh, peeved by the statement that Paul made. And Paul made this statement, verse 25, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. And Paul, Paul is about to quote a, verse, uh, a couple of verses from Isaiah. But before he does that, I just want to plug something here. When you think about your Bible and you think about God's role in your Bible and you think about man's role in your Bible and you're tempted to say that, well, this is just a collection of books written by a bunch of people, men. It's not really inspired by God like Christians like to believe. Here's, here's one of the reasons why we say God is the author of the Bible. Here's one of the reasons why we say that God inspired the Bible. But we also say that human authors wrote the Bible. Here's that relationship right there. The Holy Spirit, God, third person of the Trinity, spoke rightly to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. That's how God has revealed himself and the things that you hold in that binding of 66 books. God, the Holy Spirit, spoke through people who wrote those things down for us. And as they wrote those things down, they didn't go into a trance. They weren't, they weren't necessarily receiving, in all cases, word for word. In some cases, they, they were. But they were writing down what God had revealed to them to write down. And so you find places in the scriptures where there's clearly humanity behind the people who wrote them because they didn't lose their personalities. They didn't stop being humans and become Autobots. Sorry, that's the Transformers, isn't it? Uh, let's just go robots, all right? We don't want the Decepticons coming in here. All right, so we, we didn't lose, lose the humanity. Instead, the personality of the writers comes through, but it's being overseen by the Holy Spirit of God, writing exactly what the Holy Spirit wants him to write so that both come together in this beautiful tension that you and I will never resolve how can somebody write down exactly what God wants them to write down and yet not be completely under the control of God without, and, and not lose the personality? We don't get that, but that's exactly the understanding that Paul had of how the scriptures came into being. That the Holy Spirit spoke through people and those people wrote down exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted them to write down. So that's what he's recording there. And here's what he says, Isaiah Verse 26 says, when he said this, Isaiah said this, this is an Old Testament prophet several hundred years ago, go to this people, speaking about the Jewish people, and say, you will keep on hearing, but will never understand. And you will keep on looking, but will never perceive. For the heart of this people, that's the Jewish people in this case, has become dull. And their ears are hard of hearing and they have closed their eyes so that they would not see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Now, I don't know why they got their feathers ruffled when Paul quoted that. They choose not to believe him. And Paul says, you're just like what Isaiah said about your ancestors. People who would hear, but they wouldn't understand. People who would see, but they would never perceive. And their hearts are dull. You're just like, I mean, they, what Paul is doing is saying to them, you're falling into the same pattern as our ancestors our forefathers did when God through prophets were speaking to them and they were going after other gods and they were rebelling against God and they were rejecting God and his promises and his provision. You're going, you're going against God just like they did. And if you don't turn and repent, 
you will not receive the healing that he offers. And so what he's describing, what Isaiah is describing is that, listen, if you're faithfully proclaiming the gospel to people, there will be some people that you explain the gospel to, people who will hear it, but will never understand it. Doesn't matter how many times you, you tell them. They, 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 you, will, you will explain the gospel to them and they're gonna, they're gonna get a taste for it and they're gonna see it, but they'll never perceive the truth behind it. That their hearts are going to be hardened and dull. We've talked about 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who are not believers in Jesus so that they cannot understand the gospel. There will be some people who that veil will never be lifted. You don't know who they are, so you shouldn't pick and choose who you proclaim the gospel to, but you will be proclaiming the gospel to people who may look like they get it, because on the outside, they're religious. On the outside, they're morally, they're good people. They attend church. Listen, every week in churches across all the world, this is taking place. The gospel is being proclaimed, and there are some who have attended church their entire life, perhaps, maybe for several years, perhaps, who have heard the gospel. They could even explain the gospel to you because we know how to parrot a culture. P-A-R-R-O-T, you know, Polly want a cracker? Parrot, right? We know how to mimic a culture. We learn language. We know how to, to, to look spiritually mature. We know how to act spiritually mature. And I've said it many, many times before, and hopefully it doesn't cause concern for you, but for an hour a week or two hours a week that you see me and I see you, I can be whoever I want to be before you. And you can be whoever you want to be before me, and you can fool me, and I can fool you. Because we're just that good at being sinful, we're just that good at being somebody else. And all across the world, people are hearing the gospel, and there are some who will hear it, and they will talk like they get it. They will even maybe have some evidence that they act like they get it on the outside, but they don't get it, and they've never genuinely believed Maybe they went through some kind of ritual, some kind of motion. Maybe they, they went forward at an event. Maybe they signed a card. Maybe they prayed a prayer. But in their heart, belief was never there. And Paul says to the, some of these Jewish people who are responding in unbelief, that's what you're like. Because if your eyes were opened and if your ears were opened, you would understand with your heart and God would bring healing as he wants to. Verse 28, we go on. He says, therefore, be advised that this salvation from God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So Paul uses, and he does this in other places and talks about it in other places. He, he's trying to make some of his people, the Jewish people, jealous that, you know what? You've prized this relationship with God that, that the Jewish people have had for all these years, this special relationship that God has with the Jewish people. And yet, because you're rejecting this God, he's now extending his salvation to the Gentiles to the people that you have called unclean for all these years. God is now making them clean also. And he's trying to provoke in them uh, some, some jealousy, perhaps. And the book wraps up this way in verse 30 and 31. Paul lived there in Rome under guard for two whole years in his own rented quarters and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with complete boldness and without restriction. What is the trajectory of your life? And what's motivating that trajectory? See, Paul remained in Rome for two years. Two years. Now, Paul could have stopped preaching the gospel because it got him in prison. 
It got him in the situation he's in. He could have stopped and he said, you know what? I've, I've gone enough. Jesus, I have followed you enough and I've gotten in far deeper than I ever planned to get in. I'm far more uncomfortable than I ever intended to be. He could have stopped and probably no one in this room would have blamed him, Paul. Yeah, you did good. I mean, you went far beyond what most people would have done. We, we can clearly look at your life. Nobody would doubt that you love God. You've given your life for him. Now just, just enjoy the rest of your life and, and, and just kind of be quiet and, and maybe you'll get out of this. We would have, would have mostly all been okay with that perhaps. And yet Paul, despite his circumstances, never turned so inwardly focused that he stopped focusing on the kingdom of God and the, and the message of Jesus must be proclaimed because the gospel has to continue to spread. And the way Luke wraps up the book of Acts is kind of interesting because it doesn't really give us any closure. What we'd like to hear at the book of Acts is, and, and, and all the world was evangelized, and everybody became Christians, and, and this, this great period of utopia was ushered in, and, and it was a great season for all believers, and there was no persecution, and the gospel triumphed, and all believers, we loved something like that, and yet we don't get that. Instead, all we get is Paul continued to do what Paul has been doing for the last several chapters you know, several years in his life, chapters for us. Paul just continued on doing what he's doing. It is intentionally left open-ended. Why? What's the trajectory of your life? And what's motivating that trajectory? Luke is leaving it open because all believers in Christ should be on this trajectory. How are you going to continue the story that we see in the book of Acts? Paul continued to do so with boldness and without hindrance. There's no Acts chapter 29 in your Bible, but how will you continue to live that out? Well, what is it that you're, you're doing with your life that is continuing this story? Now listen, if you're sitting here this morning and you've trusted in Christ, you are a result of believers, followers in Christ continuing this trajectory. And had believers and followers in Christ at some point decided, you know what, things are just getting too hard and I don't want to be uncomfortable and they stopped, you may not be sitting here today as someone who has been redeemed by Christ, bought at a great price, but freed from the enslavement of sin and given new life. You would not be that person because you cannot respond to the gospel unless you hear the gospel. And somewhere along the way, someone, some follower of Christ, pointed you to the scriptures or pointed you to Christ and by God's grace you responded. You're part of that story that we've been reading through in the book of Acts. You're part of the spread of the gospel as God's word is continuing to triumph regardless of the circumstances. You are a result of God's word triumphing. And others of you in here, maybe you've not trusted in Christ and you too are part of this story. The question is, do you want to remain in the part that you are? You see, Paul was speaking to these Jewish people and you saw there was two responses. Some believed and some did not believe. Where are you in that group? And what will you do this morning? What will you do with what Christ has done for sinners? can't live a life good enough. You can't earn God's favor. You can't impress him enough. You can't perform your way through life and impress God enough to get you into heaven. You can't. You will fail miserably. You can't meet his standard. None of us can, which is partly why Christ was sent. 
and he, he didn't just come and, and, and become a savior king who just took everything, everybody evil out and, and saved all people. He came and he was born as a baby and he grew up under the Jewish law, the standard of God, and he lived in accordance with the standard of God, meeting every single bit of it without failure, perfect, meeting the righteous standard of God. And he did that not for his sake, but for the sake of people who could not meet it. So that when he got to the spot where he had met every requirement of God, he then willingly stood in the place of people who were condemned by that law. And instead, he took that condemnation as God poured his wrath out on Christ so that those who would believe in him would not experience the wrath of God because of their sin, because Christ has taken that sin. And instead, what you get is the very righteousness that Christ earned. There's an exchange that takes place. But it's not just given to you. You see, there, there, there's, there's a response that God requires of all of us, that we would repent, that we would stop trusting in whatever it is we're trusting in and turn to God. You can't, you can't continue in your current trajectory, which is rebelling against God, rejecting God, and say, yeah, I'm going to include a little bit of this Christian stuff too. It doesn't work that way. It's I stop whatever I'm trusting in, and I turn from it, and in turning from it, I'm turning to something, and that's what the Bible calls belief, faith. I believe in Christ. And you receive the life and the righteousness that he bought for you. What's the trajectory of your life? What's motivating it? I do what I do. I am who I am because of blank. Let's take a moment and think about it. We'll follow our own trajectory. We'll set our own course and follow our own path. And because of sin in our lives and the impact that it has to our very nature, our very core, we will choose a path and a trajectory that is opposed to you in a different direction from you. Even though we receive the praise of people, even though we, we are spoken well of, even though we do good in this world, if it is not bound by the grace of God through Christ, and it is not motivated by the hope that is provided through Christ, it will be for naught. So save us from being people who follow a lot of good causes and do a lot of good things and, and do good for people, but, but have no eternal good. 
and find no eternal favor with you because on our own we fail miserably. God, save us from being a people like that. And so God, if that means there's some here who haven't trusted in Christ, God, open their, open their eyes that they may see and perceive. Open their ears that they may hear and understand and open their heart that they may respond and believe. Seeing you for who you are and all your beauty and your gloriousness in Christ. And as Paul would say in Colossians, then being transformed from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. God, do that work in their lives and change the trajectory of their lives forever and let it impact everything about them. Your husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a child, as a student, as an employer, as an employee. Let it change everything and shape that. And God, for those who, who have trusted in Christ, God, let us not settle and, and, and be content to remain in comfort for the sake of our own security, but instead, God, to be bold and, and to, to, to trust you and to proclaim the gospel without hindrance and see you work in lives and bring light to darkness in ways that only you can. Let us be a church, God, who's not content to just gather on Sundays and play church. It's not worth it. We've got better things to do. The weather's too good to just play church. God, I pray that instead we would be a people who gather together because we know we've been bought with a price. We've been purchased and redeemed. We've been set free from enslavement. And God, our orientations have been now set on you. And that shapes all of who we are. And so as a church, God, let our trajectory be one that is shaped by the gospel. That is not content to just exist in a community without making an impact with the gospel, but wants to see all the communities around us impacted with your gospel. And people who are far from God brought near. People who are in darkness brought into the light. Do that, God. Us, do it as a, as a church. I pray for other churches in our community that, that you would do the same through them. For those preaching the gospel, God, I pray that you would embolden them to preach the gospel. I pray for Charlie at First Baptist, that you would embolden him and his team preach the gospel. God, I pray for Colton at First Christian, that you would embolden him to preach the gospel and stand on the scriptures. For Alan at First United Methodist, God, I pray for him that you would embolden him, preach the gospel, stand on the scriptures. And I pray for the, the, the other pastors and ministers that, that are in our community that you would embolden them, preach the gospel, stand on the scriptures. And that as we do that as followers of Christ, that your word would triumph. Not us, not people, but your word would triumph. Do it, God, for your glory. And yours alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.